The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Welcome in to the Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. Coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio, where it is most thankfully air-conditioned. Woo! Another hot one today. Um, they cut off uh, football practice a little early, uh, earlier than uh, expected yesterday, just, I think, because it was so hot. Um, and we got uh, a couple more days, I guess, to, to get through with that. Could be a record. Uh, I want to say a record. Could be a... Uh, a high, I think I saw in the news, for the year today uh, in terms of the temperature. So stay safe out there. We'll uh, talk some U.K. football and more. Chris Fisher from the Cat's Paws will join us. And then Wednesdays means Kyle Tucker from The Athletic comes by for a conversation. So that's our guest lineup. Let's jump right into the Wildcat news of the day. Uh, we'll start with the tribute to John Schlarman that uh, U.K. unveiled yesterday. A big blue banner uh, with... Uh, one of Schlarman's quotes on the wall at gate 12 where the players and coaches will see it on the walk into Kroger Field from the Craft Center. So it is a big blue wall right there. And I thought that was nicely done. Um, John's family, his uh, wife and kids were there yesterday for the unveiling with uh, Coach Stoops and a lot of the players. And so it was uh, you know, a touching moment and a worthy tribute to um, – the guy who they all call the great American, uh, John Schlarman. Defensive coordinator Brad White talked to the media yesterday uh, after practice. Uh, one of the things that uh, was a news nugget out of that is that he's optimistic. Jaquez Jones can be ready for the opener. Jaquez has battled an injury this month, but he's had several seasons under his belt at Ole Miss, so it's not like a freshman missing some time. Uh, where a, a veteran has a little better chance to overcome that. And Coach White also had praise for Jordan Wright, uh, outside linebacker. And he said he thinks, quote, Jordan is ready to take the next step. So that could be big. He's been a guy that's had a knack for making big plays. He said the scoop and score at the end of the Belk Bowl. He had a pick six against Mississippi State last year. Uh, so those flashes have been there. Can he sustain it and uh, get to the quarterback and make an impact as a pass rusher? So uh, some praise there for Jordan Wright yesterday. Something we talked about yesterday came to fruition, the announcement of an alliance between the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. Sounds like something from a Star Wars movie. There was the Rebel Alliance in Star Wars. Uh, I don't know if these guys qualify as a Rebel Alliance, but it is an alliance. Consensus from most of the reporting I've seen on this as it came off really is is pretty weak. Uh, there's no contract. Uh, there was just a lot of talk of looking each other in the eye and being committed. And just kind of a feeling of we don't do things for money like the greedy SEC. We care about academics and integrity. Uh, and the, one of the more laughable statements was the Big Ten commissioner saying this was not a reaction to Oklahoma and Texas going into the SEC. Of course not. Um, this ultimately it is a way 
to have these leagues come together to have a, a voting block, if you will, seems to be a phrase that is being used a lot against the SEC to keep the SEC from um, just kind of setting the uh, the tone for everything in play in the college football playoff, probably primarily, or TV negotiations, etc. This could ultimately slow down the uh, the path to a 12-team playoff. I think these leagues are still for it. It's just they want uh, more of a, of a say in it. I think there's a big concern of other leagues that the SEC will be too dominant in terms of the numbers of teams it gets into a 12-team playoff. And also some push to get other networks involved and try to uh, maximize. And there could be some merit to this, I think, to get other networks other than ESPN uh, into the negotiations and maybe split it up like, say the NFL does over several networks. Uh, so if you had a couple of networks incorporated into the college football playoff, it might increase the revenue. Uh, that that part could make sense. But some of the stuff they said, I mean, these are, these are obviously smart uh, people that came off looking uh, not good. I, I didn't think yesterday uh, in some of the things that they said. Why not just say, look, uh, the SEC has gotten bigger. Uh, we don't want to necessarily just get into an arms race of expansion, but we want to make sure our uh, interests are protected, and so we're coming together to do that. Uh, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, you know one league doesn't set all the terms or something like that. That would have made a whole lot more sense than most of the stuff that they said. Anyway, uh, coaches all SEC team, Darian Kennard, uh, named to the first team, Josh Paschal to the second team, Chris Rodriguez, Luke Fortner, and Yusuf Corker to the third team. Uh, from the NFL, Drake Jackson, released by the Texans. Hated to see that. He'd been released by the Lions. Quickly was picked up by Houston, but uh, teams are, are starting to cut down rosters, and so Drake ends up being released. There was always a question uh, for him about you know, just being a little on the small side for uh, a center, but he is so technically sound, so smart, that I hope he keeps uh, hanging in there. And I've got to think there's a right spot somewhere for a guy like Drake um, that can find the, the team that can utilize him and can, uh, you know, get by with a center maybe that's not quite as big as what the uh, computer says you need to you need to have. Uh, Lynn Bowden, placed on injured reserve by the Dolphins, likely means that he will miss this entire season. It is a hamstring injury that Lynn suffered that is putting him on the sidelines. And his role seemed to grow over the course of last season with the Dolphins, so hated to see this because I would assume he would uh, play an even bigger part in their plans this year. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Heading to a break, Chris Fisher from the Cat's Paws. When we come right back, Kyle Tucker a little later here on the Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at TomLeachKY. Chris Fisher joins us on the DrinkSword.com hotline. He can, you can find us material at catspaws.com you can follow him on twitter at chris fisher 24 7 uh chris we'll start with the tribute to john schlarman yesterday seemed uh via very appropriate to, to put the banner up there and make it a big blue wall at kroger field i think maybe more things coming but this was a, an excellent first step yeah absolutely ever since his his passing last november the 
outpouring of support from fans to construct a literal big blue wall has been uh, has been out there. And uh, like you said, I think this was a, a great first step for Kentucky to to honor him and, and pay tribute to him with uh, you know with that huge banner outside of uh, Gate 12. You you can't miss it and. You can't miss the impact that uh, John Schlarman has had on the Kentucky program as both a, a player and a coach. I, I feel like so much of that blue-collar mentality that uh, the team has taken on in recent years uh, comes from him and uh, obviously the play of the offensive line and uh, – Really, the the reputation that Kentucky has built as you know in producing uh, premier offensive linemen uh, is unmatched. I mean, when you think about offensive line play now, you think of Alabama, Notre Dame, Kentucky, Ohio State. Those are pretty much uh, the four, and so uh, really remarkable the job that uh, he was able to do at Kentucky, and and his legacy lives on. You know, and that was the thing that I don't think uh, anybody really saw coming when. Mark Stoops arrived, and uh, with you know Neil Brown coming in as the OC and bringing John Schlarman along, uh, that uh, Kentucky, you know, could over the years find the the great individual talents, uh, you know, a, a Tim Couch, uh, a uh, Mo Williams, uh, etc., um, or you know, on, on defense, you know, the great uh, you know individuals. Uh, but it was always the, the one of the separators was. The, guy, the big guys up front, and, and Kentucky just couldn't get the, the numbers and the, the quality and, and the depth, the offensive and defensive lines, then that's where you know maybe they would wear down late in games in, in SEC competition. And uh, that's uh, been one of the, the most important developments of what Stoops has done in elevating this program. And with John, obviously, John Schlarman playing a key role in that. Yeah, I, I was in that camp as well. I thought if you were going to win – at Kentucky, you had to attack it from a different angle. You had to, you know, maybe go the Mississippi State route and hire a Mike Leach and, you know, throw the ball all over the field. But Mark Soups has proven that he can recruit well enough, like you said, along the offensive line, along the defensive line to, uh, to run the ball right at you, run it down your throat. And even in seasons where, you know, Kentucky didn't have a lot of other options outside of, say, a Benny Snell or a Lynn Bowden. They would run it right at you. You knew it was coming. Everyone in the entire stadium knew it was coming, and you still couldn't stop it. And so that's been one of the keys to Kentucky's uh, success in, in recent years. And it still seems like the program as a whole is still flying under the radar. It, it seems like sometimes Kentucky is viewed in the national media as kind of a, a yearly flash in the pan. And, you know, they've, they've done it a couple years in a row now. So I was a little bit surprised that they didn't receive any – votes in the the preseason ap poll i think they were you know outside the top 25 in the uh in the coaches poll but you know i think that's a another dynamic that you know helps give the program a little bit of of its identity playing in that underdog role and i think that's when they're at their best the athletic had a piece on the sec where they had i think 20 different uh riders who uh cover the league uh and weighing in on Various topics, uh, and I was a little surprised that uh, the uh, probably three fourths uh, uh, just it didn't give names. It was just uh, you know the total votes uh, had Kentucky uh, more likely to go under seven wins than over seven wins. Uh, and then on the other side of that, I see where I think this was from the Action Network out in Vegas, where Kentucky is uh, the most 
heavily wagered on team to go over seven. Initially, the line was set at six and a half, and then it was raised most books to seven. And Kentucky is, I think, number one uh, most wagered on to exceed that number. So two interesting contrasts there. Yeah, uh, I saw uh, Chris Falica from ESPN Game Day was on uh, a podcast, and he had a lot of love for Kentucky. He said he thinks he, they have an excellent chance of finishing second uh, in the SEC East behind uh, behind Georgia. And, yeah, he talked about that over-under, and he, he said he's been hammering the over since uh, it was six and a half back in, uh, back in the spring. And so, I mean, you look at the way the schedule – shapes up five of the uh, of the first six games uh at home obviously your you know your swing games that that florida lsu back-to-back at home is is going to be huge for kentucky in october and uh you look at the, the mississippi state game i feel like is always a swing game missouri obviously in week two and then you have louisville closing out uh out the season and so uh but i feel very good about kentucky's chances of going over that seven wins i think he said chris falica said he thought seven and five was maybe a worst case scenario for for kentucky i think the uh i think you know nine potentially ten wins is is on the table obviously it's a long season there's a lot that goes into that you got to stay healthy and i think the biggest x factor going into this season is probably probably a quarterback and and how well uh will levis handles that uh that starting role 23 past the top of the hour. Take a break, come back, and continue with Chris Fisher from catspaws.com. It is the Wednesday edition of the Leach Report. Chris coming to us on the drinksword.com hotline. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. Chatting with Chris Fisher from the Cats Paws. Uh, let's get to a little basketball recruiting. Uh, reports have come out that the G League has made offers to Shaden Sharp and to Derek Lively. Um, how interested do you think those two players will be in those offers? Yeah, I would. I would probably be more surprised if the G League hadn't offered Shaden Sharp and Derek Lively. I think both of those guys have have played themselves into discussion for the number one overall spot in the 2022 class. And uh, you look at the way, um, you know, the G League and especially overtime elite are throwing around some of these lucrative offers. Like I said, I would be probably be more surprised if they didn't. But I don't think uh, those offers are going to make um, very big waves. I think it was expected. I think both of those guys will still – uh, choose the college route. I think NIL has really uh, even the the playing field as far as um, those professional offers are concerned. I think Shaden Sharp is scheduled to take a couple more visits uh, the end of this month, or this weekend, and next weekend. And I would expect a decision from him uh, soon after that. With Kentucky still in the driver's seat, and then. Uh, Derek Lively uh, has said he wants to take another round of, of official visits in the fall. It wouldn't surprise me to see him take another official visit to Kentucky, perhaps for uh, Big Blue Madness in October, and he's eyeing a fall decision as well. So I would still expect both of those guys to, to end up going to college. And uh, you said uh, Sharp is still likely to Kentucky. What about uh, Lively? Any guess on what his uh, mindset is? Yeah, I think Kentucky and Duke are probably out in front 
of his other uh, five schools. His his mom works at Penn State, played basketball at Penn State. Uh, I think Michigan is in uh, the mix as well. But I would put Kentucky and Duke at the head of the pack. And I really like Kentucky's chances for him, uh, at least right now. I think uh, when you look at Derek Lively, a mobile, agile seven-footer who can you know run the floor and, and block shots and protect the rim, he's, he's tailor-made for not – not just for what John Calipari likes, but for a lot of the big men that uh, he's had in the past. Marcus Canby, Anthony Davis, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, all three of those guys come to mind, and, and he's really big into uh, development. And I think um, Kentucky obviously has a, a long track record with, with guys like him. Kentucky has two significant visitors coming in this later this week, right? Right, a pair of five stars, a dim bona, the five star center from uh, California by way of um, Turkey and and Nigeria uh, has Kentucky at the top of his list. He's another guy that uh, may take a couple more visits, but I would expect a decision out of sooner rather than later. And uh, the crystal ball picks have been flooding in for him. I think Kentucky is the the heavy favorite there, and then you have. Cason Wallace, who Kentucky offered on um, the strength of his Peach Jam performance in, in mid-July, and uh, he's down to Kentucky, Texas, and Tennessee. Um, I think he'll take a couple more official visits in September, and he's announcing his decision on November the 7th. I have a crystal ball pick in for uh, Kentucky. I think they're in a good spot. He has a great relationship with Jay Lucas, who obviously specializes in recruiting the state of Texas, and I think the offer from uh, Kentucky is is going to be enough to to put them over the top. I think he's a kid that is hungry to prove that he can play uh, at the highest level, and I think that gives Kentucky an edge. Uh, Chris Fisher uh, at Chris Fisher twenty four seven on Twitter, catspaws dot com on the web. Your uh, your boss Daryl Bird, who was on with us yesterday, later posted a story where he picked Kentucky to win eleven football games this fall. Are you going that far? I don't know if I'll join him that far out on on the limb. I, I think nine or ten is on the table. Obviously, a lot of things would have to go right uh, to reach uh, eleven regular season wins. So, but we'll see. Chris Fisher, thank you much. All right, thanks. Chris joins us on Wednesdays uh, most weeks here on the Leach Report. Coming to you on the DrinkSore.com hotline. Uh, coming up in the second half, we'll check in with Kyle Tucker from the Athletic and uh, talk about uh, a story that. He has just posted at The Athletic about uh, Terrence Clark, a tribute to him. So that and more coming up when we return to the Clark's Pump and Shop Studio. Return, refresh, and refuel at Clark's. They have 67 locations across the Bluegrass. The newest one's in downtown Lexington, right across from the Rupp Arena Construction Project. And it is a great place to return, refresh, and refuel. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the Cats. Second half of our Wednesday show, and we go to the DrinkStore.com hotline to bring on Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. We'll start with the announcement about the alliance yesterday, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. So what was your take on that? Uh, interesting. Uh, the 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 most interesting thing about it to me is the revelation of you know there's no signed agreement. It's a uh, we looked each other in the eye and made a commitment, which is hilarious to think that 41 schools from coast to coast uh, all over this country 
uh, I saw a map somebody put out. It's basically the the uh, everything but the Louisiana Purchase uh, in the United States. Are, are they going to actually be committed to each other on on good faith and their word? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I buy that. Uh, it seems relatively toothless to me uh, in the long term. Now, you know, right now in this moment, while they while they have some solidarity, could they make some impact? Yeah, I think they can make some impact as a sort of a voting block um, when it comes to enacting some meaningful change. Uh, they can certainly um, wield some power collectively in, in you know, television negotiations and college football playoff expansion, uh, you know, solidifying that. I mean, it sounds like they want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. and um, You know, so I think there'll be some impact. Uh, but the idea that, you know, they're bucking up against the uh, SEC uh, and they're going to stop uh, conference realignment somehow, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. One, they, you know, one they left the Big Twelve still out in the cold, which is it's a sad. I'm sure it was a sad day for the Big Twelve, and they've ne- probably never felt lonelier. You know, the <laughs> SEC is, has uh, even even on its own is a superpower. The Big Twelve is completely hobbled, uh, almost decimated, and these other major leagues form an alliance and leave you out of it. So, I, you know, my takeaway there is like what. The writing sure seems to be on the wall for the Big 12, and I would guess some of those leagues, and maybe the SEC comes again uh, to start gobbling up what's left of that conference. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, long-term to see what impact there is on, like, Kansas basketball if they end up just kind of in, you know, keeping the Big 12 alive in some kind of partnership with the American or something. Um, but because it looks yeah. like you, the, I think everybody thought the uh, initially the Big 10 would go grab maybe Kansas and Iowa State or something to – to do with you know to uh, expand like the SEC did, but I'm, I'm I'm guessing they must look at that and think there's you know if, if we're adding two more slices of pie, we're not going to get enough money to do that. Right, you know, and another interesting thought for somewhere down the road as this all continues, as the football piece of it continues to drive all of this, is you know, and I don't know how realistically feasible it is, but sort of as a thought exercise, one of our writers, C.J. Moore. Um, at the athletic, uh, did a piece last week where he said, you know, let's, let's imagine we just let football be its own thing, you know, because it essentially is, right? It's not treated like all the other sports. There's not, uh, they don't have an NCAA tournament to decide the champion. It's not really an NCAA sport in so much as they obviously, uh, have governing power over the rules, um, but they don't really, um, facilitate the, the deciding of the championship. You know, let football be its own thing, um, and then decide the rest of the conference affiliations in a more rational way. You know, and he he did you know uh, basically focusing on basketball, uh, and he he had, he dreamed up all these leagues, um, you know, a new SEC and a new ACC um, based on kind of regional things and competitive balance in basketball, and you could think about it in, in terms of other sports. I do wonder if there's a world where that makes some sense to let football. You know, let the let the you know sixty five really high level football programs in the country play football and and you know have their own TV deal and have their own you know they can set up their divisions however they want, but align the other sports, all the many many other sports, 
in a logical way that makes sense for travel, that makes sense for, you know, regional interests and rivalries. Um, that to me, I don't know, is an interesting thought. Let's get uh, back closer to home. Uh, I think today is a preliminary hearing for the six Kentucky football players who are facing uh, criminal charges. Um, do you see this as something that, uh, apart from the, the what will go on through the legal system, uh, has talked to me a little bit about uh, what impact it has on the the team for this upcoming season? Is it something that they can uh, – easily is not the right word, readily manage. I think so. I mean, one, this is not like a thing that just happened yesterday, you know, or last week. I mean, it's been going on. Everybody involved has kind of known about it uh, since the spring when it happened back in, I think, March. Um, For one, they were cleared by the student council. I do think they thought it was kind of behind them. Uh, But they've they've known that this, the, the legal possibility still loomed over them. Um, so they've been kind of managing it that way. Um, I don't think it's a huge hit, although, honestly, if I were picking a guy on that list that, you know, losing him could really hurt. I, actually, you know, Vito Tisdale is getting a lot of attention partially because his was the more serious charge, also because I think there have been high hopes for him as a, a big-time local recruit. But Jatan McLean, to me, is a guy the staff has been really, really excited about. They think – they can use him not just as a running back, but you know, in the slot as a guy who can catch passes, and they need to add playmakers in the passing game. I think there were a lot of high hopes for, and, and are a lot of high hopes for McLean. And so, I think they're if they're if they could get one guy back out of that group, just as a from a football perspective, um, he would probably be really high on that list. Uh, but I, I don't think, in general, I don't think this is whatever happens with those guys, and I expect most of them including McLean, probably end up back on the team sooner than later um, or back with the team and pr- practicing and playing. Vito's the big question mark for me. Um, even if they didn't have any of them this season, I don't think it. You know, it's a devastating blow. I think it's a, it hurts your depth. We're chatting with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. We'll take a break and uh, come back and get into Kyle's latest post at The Athletic about Terrence Clark. That's next when the Leach Report continues. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Down with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. Um, before we get into your latest story, let me get to a question from a listener, uh, Jeff uh, talks about he says that there's been a lot of uh, discussion about Will Levis's arm strength and leadership, but he says he hadn't heard as much discussion about Will's ability to to read defenses from his days at Penn State. He says uh, Jeff writes many QBs with cannon arms and even fast legs have not succeeded because they couldn't read the defense. And once defensive coordinators figured that out, they were done. Uh, have you in your cup? Uh, you know any coverage you've done of of Will coming to Kentucky or talking with anybody within the program? Uh, can you shed any light on that part of his game? No, I honestly can't. You know, I'm not going to pretend that I know whether he's good at that or not and, and haven't talked to anybody really specifically about that. Um, I would just say I think it is very valuable at the very least that he's got two seasons of not, not starter-level play, but I, I would say significant amounts of snaps in the Big Ten at, in high-level college football. He's had... He's been put under a uh, 
pressure situation down three scores on the road um, against Nebraska and almost led them back, uh, had them you know ten yards away from tying the game at the end before he got sacked. Uh, and he made plays in that. It wasn't he wasn't just a game manager; he was a playmaker in in that comeback. And so I think you know it's it's odd that Kentucky's gone years now since Drew Barker without starting a guy they recruited out of high school at quarterback. Um, and so there's been this constant churn of of new guys who played elsewhere, junior college or another another school. And uh, you know, I think you, there, with all those guys, there's a level, a pretty big level of mystery about whether they could play at the Power Five level um, because they didn't have that experience. I think the fact that he does have it, like a, a significant real amount of it, Joey Gatewood had a very small amount of it. Um, I think it's pr- probably pretty encouraging that. Um, he will he will have a, a much better um, base of knowledge and ability, and I think just comfort level, and um, you know won't be rattled by it um, that than some of the guys they've had in the past. How that translates, how, how good is he specifically at reading defenses? I couldn't answer for you, but I think he's probably more prepared to step in and play SEC football than any quarterback they've had in a long time. I would imagine moving forward with the the new rules about transferring that uh, it's going to be a lot of places uh, are going to have uh, quarterbacks that started somewhere else just because the uh, Hal Mummy once said quarterbacks are born to transfer and that was you know 25 years ago and it's even more true now and uh, there's going to be a lot of you know recruiting and uh, the quarterback you know maybe Bo Allen uh, you know becomes the the next you know, Kentucky quarterback that was recruited out of high school to to be a starter at some point, but it seems like you know for a lot of teams it's going to be uh, somebody that started somewhere else, probably, right? Yeah, and it, that's worked out pretty well in, in several instances. I mean, Joe Burrow couldn't get mm-hmm. off the, off the bench at uh, Ohio State. He goes to LSU and he's like just unbelievable <laughs> a superstar. Justin Fields at Georgia stuck behind a, a another really good quarterback and goes to Ohio State the, in the in the game of musical chairs and is is really really good um you know and I think that quarterback especially is going to be just the nature of that position only one can really play if you're doing it right um any significant amount and you're going to have really good players sitting somewhere um you know and so yeah I think I think we're going to see that a lot and 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 that also takes a little bit of the pressure off of that situation where you know, you go, man, Kentucky hasn't been able to nail it with a high school recruit yet, you know, and really at all understood. So I think I, I still contend Drew Barker would have been that guy had he not hurt his back. I think he had a chance to be really good. Uh, but they haven't, for various reasons, they have yet to nail it uh, signing a high school quarterback. But now do you even really have to? That's I, I'm not sure you do. Let's talk about uh, your latest story at The Athletic, and it is uh, a, a deep dive into the life of of Terrence Clark, who uh, tragically lost his life back in the spring uh, while he was uh, preparing for the NBA draft out in L.A. Um, folks can go to theathletic.com and, and read the, the full story, but uh, give us a couple of the highlights of things that most uh, touched you when you put this together. Well, it was, you know, there are so many memories of him, um, and the thing, I think the thing that struck me is, you know, that's basically what uh, Jared Weiss, who uh, covers the Celtics and is in Boston, and so he, he was very familiar with Terrence. He knew Terrence as a high school kid. I uh, knew a lot of people who knew and loved Terrence. We worked together on it. 
um, as we called around and just asked people, you know, uh, tell me your memory of Terrence Clark. What is what sticks out? Um, it was it was amazing how consistent that was, and it was the smile. Everybody talks about the smile. He had a, a megawatt smile, um, and, and the word infectious came up a lot. Just that he had this personality that he walked into a room that everybody um, was instantly buoyed by his just sort of energy. Um, and that it rubbed off on people. And the one that really stuck out to me the most, the memory, um, the vivid memories that his kindergarten teacher had. And there, I think a lot of people now are familiar with her. She posted the day Terrence died. Uh, his kindergarten te- teacher in the Boston area posted a photo of him holding a, when he was five years old, holding a butterfly in the palm of his hand. And he had sort of this look of wonder on his face. It's a beautiful photograph. It won some awards. Uh, it has hung for years in different places in their uh, in the elementary school's uh, hallways. They have it in their fundraising office. It, it has for a long time stood there as kind of a symbol of what they hope education will be as a math and science uh, academy that he went to as a little kid. Um, and, you know, she didn't even know that he had gone on to become a, a big basketball star. She got curious. She saw that photo recently maybe a year ago, and Googled him and realized, oh, wow, he is a, he's a five-star recruit and going to play in the NBA. He's going to Kentucky. But she didn't know that, and she never remembered him for that. She had remembered him for all these years and a lot of people at that school for that photograph and just sort of the way he was back then, and he's always been that way. Um, and and that memory, and then when you tie, when you connect it to all the memories that everyone shared with him, us about him along the way in high school in his year at Kentucky. I talked to John Calipari, who was very emotional about the loss of Terrence Jones, and I talked to Tony Barbie, who recruited him, who just sobbed, I mean sobbed on the phone, um, about the loss of Terrence uh, Clark. And, and, and I, think, um, I think that, I think the fact that he was the same from day one, when you go all the way back to kindergarten, um, everyone's memory of him is kind of that same wide-eyed, wondrous, uh, smiling, contagious uh, little boy. Um, I, I think it's, it's special, and, and I thought the thing that struck me the most, the line from the story that struck me the most, was from that uh, kindergarten teacher, Leanna Cosgrove. Um, she said, I hope if his mom is, is reading this, that these voices from the past will be comforting to her uh, to know that he was memorable. Um, and I, I think that's very special. And I hope, you know, I, my goal in writing the story was to, to give that gift not only to the family, but also to so many people who just never got to know Terrence. It was not a normal year. Cal made that point uh, pretty pretty profoundly and pointedly that, you know, he missed out on the normal Kentucky experience, and Cal hated that. But also it went both ways. He said that fans missed out on really getting the chance to know who he was. And then some, you know, the NBA, the NBA missed out on getting to see what he might become and see that bright personality. Uh, so we tried to, to share that with people. You can read that at theathletic.com. Uh, about a minute left here. Quick thought on uh, the Nerlens Noel story. He's suing a prominent NBA agent, right? Yeah, yeah. Suing, uh, in fact, suing the guy who was uh, Terrence's agent at Clutch, uh, LeBron's agency, uh, Rich Paul. Um you know, I'm not sure he can win that, but it's an interesting look. The details of it are interesting, and in, just in the way that uh, Nerland says he was sort of lured away from his his initial agent uh, by Rich Paul on the promise that he was a hundred million, quote unquote, a hundred million dollar man. 
and then he told him to turn down the four-year, $70 million offer from the Mavs, which he then signed a $4 million one-year deal to bet on himself, got hurt, lost all that money. He's getting some of it back now, but he's basically suing for lost wages. I mean, he, he absolutely cost himself you know, 50 to $75 million by turning that deal down, and it is a sad thing. I, I thought maybe he was going to have basically lost it forever. He's kind of had a rebirth in New York, and, and good for him for that. But I, it, it'll be very interesting to see what the arguments are and, and you know, uh, assuming that that ever gets to that point. I'm sure they'll settle in some capacity. But uh, you do hate that for Nerlens because I think he, he obviously – made a mistake whether that was on the on the back of really bad advice from rich paul i guess we'll find out uh, kyle tucker from the athletic.com uh you can uh, read him there and he joins us every wednesday here on the show and uh kyle thanks much we'll talk to you next week thank you it is the leach report coming to you from the clark's pump and shop studio here in lexington and we will close it out when we come right back One Wildcat birthday today to pass along. Richie Farmer celebrates a birthday today. Happy birthday to Richie. If you see him, wish him a happy birthday for all of the BBN. Uh, and uh, hopefully it's an uh, enjoyable one for Richie. One other note, Friday, September 3rd, put this one on your calendar. That's the night UK Volleyball will unfurl the National Championship banner at Memorial Coliseum. They'll do this prior to a match against Northern Iowa. So you'll want to be there for that. Uh, volleyball season actually starts for the reigning national champs from Kentucky to, uh, Friday. And tomorrow we'll have Coach Craig Skinner on the program to talk about the upcoming season and going for two in a row and all of that. Uh, of course, uh, Mike Pratt, Justin Rowland, too, on the Thursday Leach Report. We'll see you then. Have a good day, everybody.